0: You're listening to the Fedora Chronicles radio show number 46, our two-hour Halloween special number one. I'm your host, Eric Render Fisk. This time on the Fedora Chronicles radio show, Doug Palumbo, Jason Casano, and our very special guest from Retro Blasting, Melinda Mock, talk with me about the scariest movies or television shows we have ever seen and why. We also dig deep into the philosophy of fear and why some things scare us more than others. But first, a couple of announcements. On the electric speakeasy side, we have our annual Halloween contest. This year, our theme is Rural Noir. Can you make a film noir still in a non-urban, rural setting? Here's some quick rules. Since it's film noir, please make it monotone or black and white. Please make sure it's your own work. And that it should be taken between August 30th and October 25th. Have your image posted on our forum by October 26th, 12 a.m. That's midnight for some of you. It should also include the Film Noir uniform, at least maybe a fedora. If not, that's okay. Let's see how you push the genre. No holds barred on Photoshop or any other image-altering software. We're looking for results. Use any kind of camera. We really don't care as long as you get really great results. Also, it's all about the location, 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 location. It could be anywhere in the world that you would like to make a film noir location. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is supported by listeners like you. Special thanks to all of you who have contributed to our PayPal account so far. If you would like to make a one-time or monthly donation, please check out our donation button on the bottom of our homepage. If there is an ad that you would like us to read, you can use the PayPal comment feature. If you own a business or would like us to make an announcement for you, Send us a couple of bucks and we'll be happy to read it for you. Please be sure to send your, your copy to us via the comment section on PayPal. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is also brought to you by our Zazzle page, zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. There you can buy products that look good and help pay for the podcast and bandwidth. So anything you want to put the Fedora Chronicles logo on, we can find it and do it for you. Zazzle dot com slash Fedora Chronicles. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Pinterest. You can find our links on the top of our webpage banner. Finally, check out our vendor page on the top of our forum. Just click the vendors link on the top of the electric speakeasy web page and treat yourself to a new fedora for autumn. You know, these vendors are aces because none of them pay to be added to our list. They have been recommended to us by you, the Fedora Chronicles readers, listeners, and members of our Electric Speakeasy Forum. Once again, here is Doug Palumbo, Jason Cusino, and our very special guest Melinda Mock from Retro Blasting to talk with me about the scariest movies. Enjoy this very special two-hour special. Okay. Um, Can you hear me now? Oh, who's this? This is Jason. That's the Boogeyman. I think it we, is. I think we can hear you. Yeah, I can't believe this is that um I I think that we might have to actually uh, um unofficially start the podcast right now. Um uh once again this is the Fedora Chronicles radio show and this is the very first time that we're actually doing um a group call with more than just three people. Um on the phone from um, from Retro Blasting is Michael French and his beautiful girlfriend Melinda uh, Melinda, introduce yourself and um, tell the folks, how, how do we know you or how should we know you?
1: Uh, well, my name is Melinda Mock and I am one half of Retro Blasting, which we are a, a web channel on YouTube and we specialize in all things 80s retro pop culture etc etc so i'm usually a little bit more behind the scenes but in this case we're talking horror movies which is my wheelhouse so i'm gonna take it this time
0: excellent and michael french is somewhere in the background Um, he's
1: he's back here i can call him in but he's he's sort of given the mic over to me for the evening
0: oh that's terrific so he is somewhere in the background And also, we have from way, way, way back, um, my other um, co-host, Jason Cousino, beaming in all the way from Utah. Uh, Say hello, Jason.
2: Hello, Jason.
0: (laughs) How did I know you were going to do that?
2: You knew it as soon as the words exited your mouth, didn't you?
0: I I knew it. I knew it. By the way... um, uh, your audio sounds great tonight. Uh, what what are you using for equipment? I only ask because last time we had Michael French on, he um, um, Doug uh, he and Doug were swapping um, stories back and forth about their microphone. So wh- what's your what's your audio rig uh, for tonight?
2: I actually have a gaming microphone on a uh, gaming headset. Oh, it's, that's um, yeah. I I don't remember the. I'd have to take it off to find out who the heck it is. So <laughs> who made it? Um, But yeah, it's it's a gaming microphone. It's designed for like, you know, Call of Duty, that sort of thing. Okay, that's great. That would be better than, you know, some some webcam speaker thing, contraption. Okay,
0: so I figure that while we're waiting for Doug Palumbo to show up, um, basically want to go through uh, tonight's theme for the podcast. Tonight's theme is... Um, scariest movies or television that you have ever seen. This is part one of our Halloween special. Um, and uh, here are the rules. There are no rules. Um, no holds barred. Anything anything, and everything is on the table. It can be made for TV movies. It can be documentaries. It could be um, your parents' um, home video. Um, uh, it could be your parents' um wedding video could be absolutely totally anything um the only the only caveat is that you actually have had to see it you can't say oh i i heard the exorcist was the scariest movie ever and then we'll talk about that for five minutes no for you to nominate the scariest movie ever seen you actually have to have seen it
1: so, is this a scariest movie to us when we saw it? Like, if you saw something when you were eight years old and it scared you really bad, then At, that would be
0: absolutely, or, absolutely. Okay. That's that's the only that's the only caveat. So, um, so I think that since Melinda is our guest, um, I would like to have you go first and nominate your first scariest movie you've ever seen.
1: Ah, uh, well. Uh... I guess since you, uh, explained it the way you just did, uh, when I was eight years old, I saw poltergeist, um, which is probably not the wisest thing to do, uh, to see poltergeist when you're eight years old, but I did. And I was completely terrified of my closet. I was completely terrified of going to bed at night, which, so my parents really lived to regret that. And, uh, I think I slept in the bed with my mom for like, Six months after I saw it, so that would be my first nomination.
0: I think that that is a um, a perfect choice right there. And um, I will say this, it is a terrifying movie, and yet it is rated PG. Jason exactly. <laughs> it, uh, Jason, what what are your thoughts on Poltergeist?
2: I rather enjoyed Poltergeist as a movie. I mean, there was some uh, some parts of it that were downright horrifying to me. Like when he swallowed the worm and then it started like crawling out of his throat, that horrified me. Just absolutely. But to me, the the thing that I enjoyed most about Poltergeist is that, you know, you had you had this family that was going to this place and it was like. This whole, oh, we're going to be moving into this new house. Things are going to be great kind of a thing. And then basically the supernatural came up, smacked everyone upside the head and said, no, 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 it's not.
0: I think it's also the first movie that I can think of of, um, that involved um, haunted burial grounds. Because, um, spoiler alert, we discover towards the end of the movie that the reason why... The house was so haunted and um, everything that was going on, it was because it was, it was built on an ancient burial ground. Um, and that's the first time I had ever heard of that. And every time uh, we drove by a graveyard at night, I always kept my eyes open for um, um, portals into the underworld or whatever. Um, so, um, so yeah, why else is this a, a great horror movie?
1: I I think that that Poltergeist works on a lot of levels because you've got a lot of things that kids are classically afraid of, going to bed at night, the tree outside, the shadows on the wall, their toys. Um, And and so all of that imagery is is very well uh, shown in the film from the kid's perspective. And it's like one of those situations where your parents are telling you, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just your imagination. And in this case, it's really, really not. So it's one of those, it's like a horror movie that's made for, it's not made for kids, although it's PG, but it's almost made with children in mind. uh, The things that really scare kids, which are a little different than what scares adults.
2: Jason, do you have? I'm going to concur with that. Um, I do have to drop off. There was a, there's a last minute change in plans. So, um, but I am going to say this, that whole concept. That like she was just talking about where, you know, the the kids are basically saying, "Mommy, mommy, there's a scary thing happening," and the parents are like, "Oh, you're, it's just your imagination, child." Yeah, the hand reaching through the television—not really my imagination, Mom. Thank you for telling me anyway.
0: Jason, before you go, do you have another movie to nominate, and we'll talk about it behind your back while you're gone? Children of
2: the Corn. Caveat: I first saw it when I was visiting a friend. And I had to walk home past a (laughs) 17-acre (laughs) cornfield. Have fun with that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Talk to you
0: you later, Jason. Um, Jason may or may not be bouncing back in and out. He is an IT specialist, and he has a whole bunch of horror stories that have nothing to do with ghosts and goblins and (laughs) poltergeists. It's all um, silly users and whatnot. So so there we go. Um, Melinda, Children of the Corn.
1: Ah, Children of the Corn. Um, another, I, I was sort of uh, reviewing through some of my movies before we, we got on the podcast. And it's like, there was that whole thing in the, the 60s and 70s, which was, you know, horror movies at that time seemed to be about, it's, it's like the Stepford Wives are like, is like this too, where there's like groups of people and, and groups of, and, within society that are uh, the things that we're afraid of. Uh, As opposed to now, which which we're afraid of serial killers and terrorists and things like that. Back then it was more like, you know, being one of this big scary group or this group mind type of thing. I don't know if it was an anti-communism thing or or something like that. But uh, but yeah, so Children of the Corn to me sort of represents the fear is that, that there's some kind of weird group mind that's controlling a group of people, in this case, children. So um, I don't remember a lot of details because I haven't seen it since, gosh, the 80s. So um, what about you? Did, what are your thoughts on the film?
0: Well, I'm, I'm looking at it right now because I, I, I had to make sure, um, and I'm constantly doing this, I'm making sure that I actually know what I'm talking about, Children of the Corn. <laughs> children of the Corn was released in 1984. was it yeah and the synopsis here is that a young couple is trapped in a remote town where where a dangerous religious cult of children believe everybody over the age of 18 must be killed i this is the very first thing that i saw was based on something that stephen king wrote and um originally we were over at my aunt and uncle's house and my uncle bob rented a copy for us to watch while my mother was away on a business trip for about like uh, like four or five days, I think, and uh, and of course he he rented a huge a huge stack, and we watched the we watched the first five or ten minutes of it, and it's like it's one of the most gruesome, graphic, scenes where I, I think somebody is getting maimed and mutilated on on a meat cutter, like <laughs> a, a deli meat cutter. And it totally freaked us out. And of course, it's like, and my uncle was um, like, I, "No, I don't. I don't think that we're going to watch this." So he pops in another cassette tape, and it was Richard. It, it was Richard Pryor, and Richard Pryor was like throwing around the N word and ta- <laughs> talking about <laughs> talking about women's anatomy and right. and, and crazy in laws, and he was using all of this. And it's like he's scratching his head because it's like, I mean, what's worse, Richard Pryor or Children of the Corn? Right. And it was just, it was like I, – I he kind of like threw up his head and says, okay, everybody off to bed. And then my, <laughs> my, my brother and I, we were laying in bed waiting for everybody to go to sleep. And then we snuck back into the living room. And wouldn't you know it, there was my uncle watching it. He says, come on, boys, don't tell your mother. <laughs> I didn't sleep for 48 hours after that.
1: Yeah. You know, I think – some of these things can be scary based on when you saw them. I I know this particular movie, I think got lost in the shuffle for me. I I saw it, but I had already by that point seen so many other horror movies that it, it just didn't like stick with me as much. Not that it's not good or that it's not scary. I think it just, just when I saw it and how I saw it.
0: I hear something very weird going on here. I think somebody is trying to possess your, uh, your microphone there
1: uh it looks like someone else has joined am i wrong
0: is it, it who could that be could that be doug
1: it looks like doug has joined
0: hey doug hello how you doing great, good 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 great to hear you i think this is amazing uh jason was online for a little bit and uh he might be dropping back in sometime in the near future but i mean uh, like you know a week from now or like in like a few minutes uh, anywhere between a, a, a couple of minutes, a couple of hours, or he might be popping in for next week. Um, also, um, since, since, uh, you're here, I um, want to introduce you to, um, uh, Mike's girlfriend, Melinda. Um, she is the, uh, better half of blasting. <laughs> no offense, Mike. No offense.
1: <laughs> Hello, Doug.
0: Hello, Melinda. It is a,
3: indeed a pleasure.
1: Ah, it's nice to, uh, quote unquote, meet you.
3: And like I told uh, Michael last time, I said, I thoroughly enjoyed the My Little Pony restoration.
1: Oh, good. Awesome. Now,
3: I've never, um, well, let's put it this I'll never admit to owning My Little Pony.
1: That's okay.
3: Or anything, but uh, <laughs> I'm not a brony, but I just got a lot out of it. More, I'm not going to lie, I saw it, I'm like, ah, I'm not going to learn anything. I completely learned m- more than I expected, by so the, thank
0: you. By, by the way, Doug, my niece wanted to know whether or not you got the package of, um, of My Little Pony uh, paraphernalia that she <laughs> sent you. We were going to talk about that later. <laughs> so uh, we were just going through our list and we have already talked about Poltergeist and Children of the Corn. This would be the perfect opportunity for you to share your thoughts on either one or both of those movies and why do they terrify us so much?
3: Um i i remember seeing children of the corn i don't remember a lot of it so i will um i'll say a few things about poltergeist um if i'm not mistaken and maybe you've already covered this uh, a lot of what we saw in poltergeist is a lot is what frightened steven spielberg the director in his childhood like the tree out the window and the clown and, you know, stuff like that. So he put a lot of his own um, childhood fears in the movie um, in making. So I think that's, at least for me, that's why it sort of um, resonates is because, you know, here is his fears and a lot of those things, like, I don't like clowns. I think, you know, I mean, I'm not afraid of them, but I just think they're creepy. And boy, he really got that, you know, if, if, if you don't have a dislike or a fear of clowns to begin with, you see Poltergeist, um, we're talking about the original, I haven't seen the remake. Um, then, you know, you're gonna have a fear. And, you know, he, he tapped into something, you know, very um, uh, primal with that movie. And I mean, my favorite part, you know, favorite in quotes, but my favorite part is guy in the kitchen and he's eating the chicken leg and he starts picking away at his face. I mean, that always fascinated me. Now, you watch that now, that those practical effects are very um, dated. But the, you know, I don't see it as 42-year-old Doug. I still see it as, you know, know, pre-teen Doug. And it's, you know, it's still creepy with his fingers under his skin and everything and peeling off his face. And just the whole concept of that movie, you know, um, just a lot of it. Like when she falls, sorry about that. I was getting a call from my mother, but she can wait. (laughs) Um, Mom, I'm doing a podcast. (laughs) That's right. What is she she thinking? Um, When Joe Beth Williams, falls into the pool the pool and the and and the skeletons come out and just it, it just seems so um not real but very raw like when the um the uh i don't know if it's a demon i don't know what you call it but um comes out of the out of the the uh, ether yeah you know they kind of show that big creature head exactly. coming out yeah it's like that it's just it didn't look like a ghost it didn't look like uh, really anything natural. Like, it, it, it looked uh, demonic. And I think that's why it was effective, because it didn't really look like anything else that had come before. Like, you know what a vampire looks like. You know what a werewolf looks like. I'd never seen that before, whatever that was. and So that was effective, at least for me.
0: And we can say it again. Um, well, two things to add. It's a PG movie that terrified everybody because it works on such a, a base level without a lot of graphic violence and the, and just as a quick sidebar, is there anybody who likes clowns? I mean, clowns just <laughs> clowns are just like evil.
3: They, they are. I mean, real, uh, if, if you really think about it, clowns are just, I mean, you have uh Pennywise, the clown, not, not a good clown. um, you know John Wayne Gacy yeah killer
1: clowns from outer space killer
3: clowns from outer space i mean just there's never a clown uh really what? every clown has a creepy vibe you have uh Clara Bell from uh um howdy duty didn't speak only only uh spoke you know in quotes spoke with uh horns yes and no i mean that's creepy who does that nobody creepy clowns that's, do that that's, that's who does it like
1: that's kind of like the Copper Kid from Silverhawks. He's like, he just speaks in these weird whistles, and he's from the planet of the mimes, so maybe it's like a whole thing.
0: <sighs> well, that's where Clarabelle comes from.
1: Maybe. <laughs> well, Could
0: be. Here, here's something else that's even more terrifying. There is one clown in particular who has killed more children through obesity <laughs> and diabetes than any other clown. I Ronald, see what he did there. Ronald McDonald. The silent killer. The silent killer. Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald is a serial killer. Mm. Just wait. We're going to watch on 60 Minutes how it was just a satanic plot by, uh, by the McDonald brothers to, uh, because they hate children. Um,
1: Insidious 5.
3: <laughs> uh, going back real quick to Poltergeist being PG. I don't think that there is any way that if that movie was made just like that today, that it would be PG. No
0: way. PG-13. At least. At least PG-13. But I think that that's the reason why they got away with what they got away with was because it, just the levels that it was dealing with it, it mm. was just scary. Um, so the thing is, is that since Doug's late, um, do you think we should ask him to nominate a scary movie? He hasn't Absolutely. Had, he hasn't had a turn yet.
3: Well, let me, let me get my, my paper out. I took notes this time. Um, uh, just a few. Um,
0: I I wrote down three movies. Save the scariest for last. Save the scariest for last.
3: I'll save what I think is the scariest for last. I I don't know if it's the scariest, but what I think is the scariest. That's the point. Um, But um, I had a hard time coming up with a list only because, um, you know, scary is subjective. And I don't always find, like, booga booga scary. Like... uh, but' go like you know like the 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 killer coming out of the closet or you know Freddy Krueger like you know those kinds of slash films I don't particularly find um scary sometimes because they have a certain rhythm to them um, and if you've seen enough movies like I think we have, it's like you 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 can read the movie even if you've never seen it. you know, oh, this is the pace, this is where the the cheerleader's gonna get it and, you know, this is where they run out of the house and then the guy surprises them out back, you know, you, you know what's going to happen. So those movies are very formulaic in a lot of ways, so they don't particularly scare me. Um, what I find scary, for the most part, you know, it, those movies might might startle you, but they don't scare for me. So what I find scary are more psychological um, uh horrors um uh, although my 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 choice for number one is a uh kind of boogeyman movie uh, but um my 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 first choice will be uh now i'm kind of going back a ways on this one is uh the movie m just the letter m uh 1931 with peter lorre
0: anybody seen it oh absolutely go ahead take it take it doug tell us all about it
3: Melinda have you seen it? Uh,
1: you know it's not I think I've seen it but I don't remember enough about it to talk about it so educate sure. me.
3: Well I'll, I, I really wanted to watch it before this uh, show but I didn't get an opportunity but I had to watch it for a film class and in college and it black and white and I had seen just on a little side note, I I had seen Citizen Kane um, not too long before this movie, and everybody says um, that Citizen Kane is the greatest movie of all time for various reasons. Um, I won't go into it now, but I'll say that I think M is a superior movie in almost every way to (laughs) Citizen Kane. Um, But that's as a side note. But the reason why I think it's scary, it's about, they don't it's about a uh, a child murderer, and it's it's from 1931. So there's a lot, you know. I'm I was actually quite shocked to see them kind of tackle that topic. I mean, there's a lot of innuendo in the movie. It's it's from Fritz Lang, uh, you know, Metropolis, and uh, many other movies. But um, I think this was his first talkie, if I'm not mistaken. But um it kind of represents Germany at that time. Um, it, it 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 seems that Lang had a had a thing. A, you know, he wasn't happy with the way the 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 country and a lot of the people were going, and I think that reflects in this movie, uh, the characters. But um, it's it's about Peter Lorre plays a character who murders children, and you really don't see him a lot in the movie. Um, you most of the movie is taken up with them trying to find him um, and yeah. I think it's near the beginning there's there's a scene that I think is one of the best pieces of film ever produced where there is no dialogue um from him because he says very little in the movie, but he's looking at a window like um he's dressed in a suit and an overcoat and a hat. And he's looking in a um, uh, some kind of a um, like where they sell knives and like little grooming kits. It doesn't it's kind of a weird looking store. But so he's he's looking in this window and in the window, there's a mirror and the mirror is surrounded by what looks like knives like it's like a big kind of to do display. And so he's looking at these items and they're all very suggestive, you know, because they're all um, cutting implements of some kind. And he's looking in this uh, display and he sees in the mirror, now he never turns around, but he can see the reflection of a little girl behind him. And his reaction and his, he starts um, like rubbing his face, like he's like uh, licking his lips and he's really trying hard to fight against this urge that you know what he's feeling, that he has to go kill this little girl. And he's just wrought with, uh, this emotion that he's just trying desperately to hold in. And so she walks away and just his face framed in that mirror with the knife surrounding it and him rubbing his face, everything. And he's wrestling whether or not to go after her. And so he, he breaks down and he decides to go after her. And so he, you know, casually walks away. To follow her, and he's whistling. Um, I looked it up because I didn't know it was uh, "Hall of the Mountain King," and um, you would know it if you heard it. I'm not going to whistle it here. And um, he he follows this little girl um, to what looks like a bookstore, and she's looking in the window, and he's right behind her, and he's about ready to uh, pounce. And you can tell because it's a lot like Jaws, where you know you you hardly see the shark, and then when you see the shark it's too late and but the build-up before you see the shark is the Jaws theme and that's what he uses this whistling music for that you know when you hear that he's about ready to pounce and just before he what you assume is gonna grab her she runs into her mother that she's meeting Uh, her mother's coming home from work I believe and she she meets her halfway and so they walk past and he kind of ducks into this um, uh, entryway to the store. Like he's kind of looking in and then they walk away and he comes back and the, and the camera goes in on him and he's sitting there and he's like wringing his hands. Like he's just – he has to um, satisfy that urge somehow and he's scratching his hands like incessantly. Like he's just trying to scratch an itch that he can't reach and it's just a – it's 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 horrible and disturbing, but it's wonderfully filmed and like almost zero dialogue except for a brief exchange between the little girl and her mother, and it's just so um, hard to watch because you know what he's going to do, and but yeah he 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 doesn't get to do it, which is good, but he's so wrought with guilt and desire at the same time that. It's just it's horrifying, and that to to know that you know they filmed this in nineteen thirty one I know horrible things have always happened, but that they filmed this in thirty one and yet we're still hearing about stories like this today it's just it's it's scary, it's scary in a psychological sense in a you know jump out and get your
0: sense, but um wonderfully it's what it's, is the word? it is it is it's every parent's nightmare come to play in a very early classic black and white movie some people absolutely and it's
3: you know it's it's in german so there's subtitles um which i don't know if the hearing them speak in german adds to the creepiness because of what we have dealt with from uh the germans during world war Two. but it's just so uh psychologically disturbing that um if you're looking for
0: a scary movie, I recommend that one. Melinda, do you have anything to add about M?
1: Uh, it it sounds pretty intense. That's <laughs> that's pretty much all I can say, as I I am not as familiar with it as as you guys are.
3: Before, and that's I... just one scene that I described. I mean, it's a pretty it's not boring, but it's just so whew, it's it's intense in, in, in a psychological way. Now, some people might watch it and. Because it's black and white and there's subtitles and there's dialogue, but not, it's not a Tarantino movie where it's just wrought with dialogue. Um, You know, some people might find it slow and boring, but if you watch it with a 1931, not even a 31 sensibility, just a sensibility of this can still happen and it's still, and it does happen, just it's, it's horrifying. And to see, you know, there there is no excuse for his character, Peter Laurie, in what he does, but to see him wrestle as 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 an actor wrestle with the um the the guilt and the self loathing of doing these things, but also the the desire and the and, and the he's just thirsty for this to be satiated by this um these, these acts that he does, it's, it's, it's wonderful in a completely horrific way, if that makes sense.
0: It, it does make sense, and I can make an argument that it is the birth of film noir. We already did almost an entire podcast on that. My first nomination, though, for the scariest movie, and believe it or not, for me, this is the third scariest movie I've ever seen, The Exorcist. And... It is terrifying on so many different levels and it even piggybacks onto um, some of the themes from M as far as horrible things um, uh, for parents to endure and go through. Um, the idea of your child being possessed by uh, a demon or the devil or Satan and there's nothing that you can do about it. and this kid is just going through just these absolute horrible things, the worst horrible things you could possibly imagine from within and lashing out and um, the, the, just being deformed and making all those guttural noises and, um, just, and, and the practical effects. Um, just phenomenal and terrifying at the same time. Um, how about you, Melinda? What, what do you think of The Exorcist?
1: Well, you know, uh, The Exorcist is definitely on my list as well. simultaneously whoa
0: yeah what That's happened a- michael are you still here
1: sorry i'm trying hang on talking
3: about possessed people yeah and then your microphone does that this is creeping me out
0: we, we can hear Thank you melinda Eric, can you hear me? I can hear you, Doug. Do Just you hear me? a... Yeah, we can hear you guys. Okay, but I do hear an echo. Hold on. Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to get the echo on this end. I hear the echo. Uh, Do you hear it now? I hear it now. Not that mm-hmm. time, no. Huh. I wonder if I it... can... I wonder if it had something to do with the fact that I, I, I pulled out one of my earbuds, (laughs) I I only had one earbud, um, on at the, uh, at the time. Uh, well. Or or we were talking about the exorcist. No, not a problem. Not Uh, not, these things happen. It's his
1: computer. So
0: So how about how about repeating that about the whole thing about the priest and and, um uh jeez, I'm sorry I'm sorry to make you go through that again.
1: Oh, that's okay. I'm also still hearing the echo.
0: I hear it now too. It's okay, Um, don't worry. It happens.
1: So I'm wondering, and now I don't hear it. I guess it's just going to come and go. Can you hear me okay?
0: No, absolutely. I can. It, 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 I will tell you right now, I'm um, listening to the podcast through um, the, uh, the, the audio board, and I'm not hearing any echo at all whatsoever.
1: Great. And okay. But I hear it. Oh, you hear it.
3: Not now, but I, when, whenever you hear it, I hear it. But Eric doesn't it hear it. It must be
1: Skype. It's okay. Well, so, so what I was saying... Uh, the Exorcist is really, to me, it's, it's definitely on my list. It's a great film. Um, and I think the reason, at least in my opinion, that it works is because it's it, it's playing to, it's working on so many levels where uh, you've got the great special effects, like you mentioned. You've got really uh, graphic, horrible things that Linda Blair is, is saying, which are, are shocking that a child is saying these things, very sacrilegious adult things. Um, And then you've also got this this priest who's struggling with his own um, feelings that he is not enough and that he's he's not qualified and that he's just all of these fears that he's having and that he's having to overcome in order to save this little girl. Um, It's just it's really a powerful story on a lot of levels, not even just a horror level, which I think is what makes it ultimately stand the test of time as a film.
0: I don't want to creep you guys out, but. Um, the hair on my arm is standing on end and, um, I got, I got cold chills. The first time you said all that about the priest and, um, and questioning faith and all the things that Linda Player's character Reagan had went through the first time you said that it didn't record a single sound.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I'm
0: not going to edit that out.
1: Oh, uh, Wow.
0: I'm not going to make that out. So, um, so Melinda, I think it's your turn to nominate another scary movie.
1: oh gosh, you know, there's so many great ones, and it's really hard to choose. Um, when you guys were talking about M and it's, it, how it works on a, a very visceral level in the sense that it's it's not just in your face, although I, I personally, my favorite horror movie personally is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1 uh, because it, it, it does have a lot of, to me it has a lot of levels um i think that this particular movie uh that i'm about to mention is really great and it's it's called the haunting and it's it's probably not the haunting that people are would think of uh it's from i think it's from 1963 um it was directed by Robert Wise, uh, who also directed Star Trek The Motion Picture, I think, and I think he also did like The Sound of Music, so kind of weird. But it's based on a, a short story by Shirley Jackson, uh, written in the late 50s. And the film, again, it's a, like you said, uh, about M, it's a black and white movie. It's not subtitled, but it is set in a, a haunted house, so it's just a traditional ghost story where they never show the ghost which I think is really effective, the way that, that everything is shot. You just you hear these very um, vague, creepy sounds and weird things happen, and you're completely drawn in to the storyline and these characters who are all brought to this house for uh, sort of weird, uh, unclear reasons at the beginning of the film. And you sort of take this trip with them and you, you feel everything that they're feeling. Um, there, there's a scene where the, the two female characters are, are staying in their room and they, they're just hearing all these horrendous sounds. Like, it just sounds like, you know, a freight train in the next room. And then it just, it turns out that, like, there's nothing out there, which is almost, to me, it actually is much scarier than seeing this big, evil-looking demon monster that would have been a big rubber suit back in the the 60s. <laughs> uh, so, so I think not showing the monster... Uh, is, you know, usually more effective for me, personally. And I think that movie is one of the best films that inspired things like The Blair Witch Project and things like that that came after it.
3: I'll agree. I mean, in terms of... I prefer not seeing whatever it is. Um, That's why... This isn't one of my movies, but when you're talking about whatever the creature was, the ghost, you never see it. You just... Experience its effects. Um, uh, the movie Signs, M. Night Shyamalan. Right now, not necessarily meant to be a scary movie, although it is damn creepy. Mostly because, for a vast majority of the movie, you don't see it. You don't see the creature, and you only see like a quick glimpse when they're watching the the recording on TV, and and the thing walks by, and it's so. Simple. It's not even like a scary monster. It's just this thing, this tall, kind of alien-looking creature. That it's it. They build up such a they build it to such a fever pitch that when you finally get even a, a glancing view of it, it's startling to no end. And that is far more effective than seeing the like you know Jason or Michael Myers running around the entire time. Um, That's why I think when you're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, I don't think, I'd have to go back and look, you don't see Freddy very much. You see him, but not as often as you see some of these other, um, uh, you know, villains in these other movies.
1: Definitely in part one, that's that's definitely true.
3: That's what I mean. And it's so much more effective because if you saw him all the time, you're like, oh, there he is again. But when you use him sparingly, it's like, holy crap, there he is again. And so it's far more effective to not show them or to show them as little as possible. So, yeah, that's a, I, I love when
0: they do that. Um, and I think that the, this is a testament to what a great director Robert Wise was. Because, I mean, just the entire wide range of things that he did. Uh, the, um, Sound of Music. Uh, West Side Story, Um, of course, The Haunting, Um, Star Trek, The Motion Picture. Uh, um, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Whatever, What else he did? Um, Yeah, Robert Wise. I'm actually checking him out on Internet Movie Database here. (laughs) What would we do without it? Yeah. Oh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. And the thing is, is that we could actually make an argument for the, the, The Day the Earth Stood Still as being a a, uh, um, a scary movie. But I think that's a conversation for another time. So um, I think it's... Uh, let's see. Uh, is it Doug's turn to nominate another scary movie? Uh, I don't know if it is, but I'll go.
3: Um, I, I mentioned M. Um, like I said, there's a lot of movies that I wanted to put on my list. Um, a lot of movies that I think are scary um, or I think are of this vein. Um, I think some honorable mention before I get into my next pick would be An American Werewolf in London for many reasons. Um, It's just wonderfully funny but also uh, very um, disturbing and dark and there's uh, I think one of the best um, when they make a movie where you know, uh, oftentimes when they make a movie about a a, a character where they become uh, an agent of evil, whether it's on purpose or because of some accident. Like American Werewolf in London, he gets attacked by a werewolf. He's a good guy, but he becomes a werewolf. Um, He doesn't want to do it, but he has no choice. So, but usually, you know, they uh, make the character likable in some way that, Whenever they, um, you know, do the bad thing, you know, he, he or she, um, it, it's not their fault, and they, uh, you know, there's they, they, either get saved in the end or there's some redemption in the end. Um, not American World in London. I mean, David is a likable character, uh, but other than that, he, he slowly becomes not a nice guy because you know he could easily stop this if he were just to kill himself, but he doesn't. And yet he goes on rampage after rampage and there's no redeeming qualities for the creature. Like, you know, you have um, Frankenstein who is, there's, there's a uh, redeeming quality to Frankenstein. He's, you know, a, a creature that was created. It's not his doing, you know, people are afraid of him. It's not his fault. There's no redeeming quality to the werewolf in American Werewolf in London. And the way it ends, I mean, I don't know if any, if everybody here has seen it. I hope so. Spoiler but, alert. Spoiler yeah, spoiler alert. alert. He just dies. And there's no redemption for David or for any of the people involved. It's a horrible ending in terms of, like, for the characters. Uh, I think it's a wonderful ending cin- cinematically. But it's a horrible ending for the characters. There's no happy ending there's no you know he saves you know he's able to reverse the curse in the end or something No, it just ends and he's dead and everybody's dead
1: it seems like a, a cautionary tale toward giving in to your animalistic uh desires and that 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 way lies death and destruction i
3: absolutely i didn't quite think of it that way but i think you're absolutely right and you know because david gives in and he doesn't necessarily fight it or um once he changes, he kind of likes it. And, right. um, you know, it's just a great movie. Uh, but that was my little side note. Another movie that I wanted to, uh, discuss. And I, I, asked people at, 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 work today and throughout the last week, I'm like, what do you think is a scary movie? Just to get other people's opinions. And a movie that kept coming up was the, um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula from, uh, was it 1992? And it's just, and I was watching some clips today, and it's not necessarily scary, but it's really, it's one of these scary through, um, not psychological, like, again, but it's just disturbing. Um, has everybody seen it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, I think, is a wonderful director. I'm not. Um, I think The Godfather is a good movie. It's not my favorite gangster movie. But I think as a movie, in terms of its effectiveness for me, I, I like – god, this is going to make a lot of people mad. I think this is a better movie and just
0: the way it's all packaged. Um, a better movie compared to what? The Godfather. Oh, okay. All right. I thought and, you. Were, I um, thought you were going to say the original Dracula, and we. we, we no. We, we, we were going to have words. Go ahead. No,
3: based <laughs> based on uh, Francis Ford Coppola's previous work, and it's there's 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 a scene when um, the uh, all the guys go down into the crypt, and um, oh, what was her name? Not Mina. Uh, I forget, but she's she's. Uh, all in white, and, and she enters the crypt. She had been previously killed, and and she comes into the crypt carrying a child, and she's in like a like like a looks like a wedding gown. She's like, I guess it's supposed to be like she's the bride of the devil, bride of Dracula.
1: Lucy is the one you're talking. Lucy, about.
3: Lucy, thank you. Yes, and and she comes into the the, the, the underground crypt carrying this, this child, and you don't really see her face yet. And they they startle her, and she drops the child. They go in, and they save the kid, and then hopkins comes in with the cross and she kind of um retreats into the coffin it it looks like they filmed it in reverse but played it forward yep it's so it's so it makes it look really unnatural the way she moves and then she goes into the coffin and he's over her with cross he's kind of getting in her face and her eyes are closed she's kind of in repose and then all of a sudden she kind of jumps up and uh spews blood all over his face and Most movies that do stuff like that, I was having this discussion at work today, where it's, you know, gory and it's um, a a, a disturbing visual, like um, something like Hostel or the Saw movies or uh, Human Centipede, uh, where it's like... It's part of the story, but it seems like they think of these disturbing um, scenes and then they build a movie around it to to, to give them an excuse to show these um, scenes. Whereas in Dracula, it just like violence or sex in a movie, it, it it's usually unnecessary unless it supports the story. There's a reason for it, and there's a reason for this in Dracula, and so it makes it like. Um, you know, it's shocking because of the visual, but it's also disturbing because of just the character, the way they portray it, and just she spews this, this blood on him, and he's just not relenting. And then they come in with the stake and they hammer it into her, and then he cuts off her head. And it's just, just like it's it it's over before you realize it 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 happened sort of and it's like and you're and you left kind of mouth agape going what, what 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 just happened and it's just so uh effective and when um uh Keanu Reeves who I think is good in the movie he might be the weakest part because when whenever he speaks I still think of Bill and Ted uh but he's he's in the in the castle and he's he's with the straight razor and uh, Dracula comes in, played by Gary Oldman, who I think is um, this this generation, last generation, and the next generation to come's best actor. And he comes in in in, in the red robe and the, the pale skin and the, the bouffant white hair. And he's talking. He kind of glides in. And uh, Keanu Reeves' character, Jonathan Harker, I think his name is, he cuts himself and then... Uh, Dracula takes the razor and kind of turns his back real quick and just licks the the blood off the razor and just Goosebumps. his yeah his 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 pure delight in doing that and just the noises like the the mouth noises that he makes when he licks the razor it's just so disturbing and and creepy and just altogether you it's like a it's like staring into the sun during an eclipse you you know you shouldn't do it but it's so beautiful and, and horrifying at the same time that you, you can't look away and so um, just a few reasons why I like I would put Bram Stoker's Dracula let, by Francis Ford Coppola let, on the let, list. Me,
0: let me just interject here before we give Melinda a turn to talk about Dracula um, doing this podcast with the, almost all the lights off and only having one candle was not a smart idea Eric <laughs> not smart so,
3: um, lights on I have, um, um, I, I am fully illuminated
0: on purpose. You have all the lights on. You have your, your, uh, your clothes of garlic necklace. You have your crucifix. um, I do. Yes. Right here. In your hand. Yeah. Um, so Melinda, before I go crazy with Dracula, uh, um, you go first. Uh,
1: well, I, I am a huge vampire fan, so I had had a lot of... I wasn't as in love with with that particular movie, although I will say, um, my favorite part of that movie, aside from the wonderful cinematography and artwork uh, that was associated with it, is the fact that Tom Waits, who is one of my favorite musicians, is in the film, he's Renfield. So uh, if you're not familiar with Tom Waits, you should definitely check him out. Um, So yeah, I mean, my, my favorite vampire Dracula movie is always going to be, you know, Bela Lugosi is Dracula to me, and then and of course the Hammer films are, are spectacular. So it's it's really hard to do a Dracula movie that's that's tremendously impressive to me personally. Um, I feel like for me, Winona Ryder and Keona Reeves kind of pulled me out of the movie a lot, uh, and I felt like it was. Um, it just it wasn't like I, I didn't love the design of, of Dracula in the film, but uh, there were definitely moments that were uh, very intense and, and super creepy. Uh, just the, the way that they let the shadows fall and drift across the floor when Dracula would sort of glide through rooms and things like that. So, so it definitely set a tone and had a, a very strong ambiance when, when you're watching it. So um, definitely a memorable visual film
0: what i am going to say is that um well o- obviously um o- obviously the original with bella lagosi as far as being classic movie fans um you have to say bella Lugosi and you have to see the original dracula um but i'm going to say this with a caveat here um forget all of, all the movie versions forget about them go to audible.com we're going to have a link on the main page for this podcast um get yourself the, an Audible version of um, of Dracula. The one that I'm looking at, the one that really sort of terrified me, was the, it's the unabridged version, Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, narrated by Alan Cummings, Tim Curry, and a handful of other people that you may or may not have heard of. If, you've, if you're if you into aud- Audible and audiobooks, you may have he- um, heard of the other, other um, readers. But... Um, you couldn't have picked. I, I'm
3: sorry to interrupt. I was, when you were mentioning that, I was trying to think about who would be a good reader for that. And if you have, um, not to mention the other actors, but Tim Curry and Ellen Cummings reading Dracula, that's enough to scare you. I mean, just, you know, especially, um, I just said his name and I'm totally drawing Tim a blank. Curry. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Thank you. Good lord.
0: Such a he's, Tim guy. Curry. It, it does sound pretty easy. awesome.
3: Yeah, like I mean, you you see like Home Alone two, and he's the he's the concierge, and it's like that's not scary, but <laughs> you watch Legend, and you see that phenomenal makeup job that they did on him as um as uh what do they call him in the movie the darkness uh, darkness right? We were yeah, watching that the other day. Just on a side note, I, I keep getting off, sorry, but it was on and I, it, it, the, we, you know, came in right at the end, right when they show uh, darkness come out of the uh, mirror uh-huh. and they kind of show them full for the first time. And my boys are sitting there watching it with me and they're, they're going to be 15 and 13 here very soon, next, next week. And they were not scared, but they were, completely transfixed yeah. because you know, they are used to watching um, old movies with like practical makeup. And it's usually not very good, but this complete, they're like, how, how did they do that? And yeah. I'm like, cause it's good makeup. So I, it, it's a, it's a side note, but I can't imagine listening to Tim Curry
0: with that visual in my head, reading Dracula. It, it is, it is a phenomenal experience. It it is, um, and the thing is, is that it's it's fifteen hours, and my suggestion is, um, uh, d- d- try and do it all in one sitting. Put it on your iPod or your Android phone, and and listen to it, and have it end like around midnight Halloween, if at all possible. Uh, if you really want to freak yourself out, I think that's it. Um, so, is it my turn to nominate another scary movie? Yes. All right, I have a double feature here. You cannot have one without the other because these two movies were direct, written and directed by the same, uh, the same guy, um, Joshua Zeman. And the first of these is Cropsey, and it's a documentary. And um, it is listed on Internet Movie Database as a document, documentary-slash-crime-slash-horror. And uh, the synopsis is, realizing the urban legend of their youth has actually come true. Two filmmakers divulge into the mysterious surrounding of five missing children and the real-life boogeyman linked to their disappearances. I watched this movie. Um, it was like when my wife took the kids to see the in-laws or had to do something like, I don't know, bowling for bowling for school or something like that. And of course I thought, okay, okay this is one of those movies that... Um, it goes on one or two lists. I have two movie lists. I have the movies that I can watch with my family, and then there are the movies that I can't watch with my family. And, of course, I thought, um, oh, not a big deal. You know, it's a documentary. How terrifying can it be? Hold on to your hats, kids, because the thing is is that, first of all, this is based on a true story. It also deals with the topic that we were talking about earlier, child abduction and, and child Now, murder. I'm
3: sorry, is, is it a true is it a movie about a true story or the documentary is a real documentary about this event
0: it's, it's a real documentary about a real event that ha that happened whereas this mentally ill man would um abduct children um um murder torture um all these horrible things in this um abandoned house slash abandoned um mental institution and it it is it is truly one of the most terrifying movies that I think I have ever seen, mostly because it is a documentary. Um, and uh, that in and of itself, where they show you where all these places, um, where all these crimes took place in this, uh, this abandoned house, you will never ever look at an abandoned house in the middle of the woods the same ever again. But that leads me to, and I consider this a sequel to, uh, to Cropsey. It's called Killer Legends. Um, uh, written and directed, again, by Joshua Zeman. Um, uh, delving into our collective nightmares, this horror documentary investigates the origins of our most terrifying urban legends and the true stories that may have inspired them. And, of course, the thing is, like, you know, with, like, um, um, the Lubbers on Lubbers Lane making out in the car, and they hear um, on the news that this this guy with a hook... Escape from a mental institution, and they drive off because the the girl is terrified. And just as they fill up on gas, or he's letting her, out, uh, walking her to the door, they say the hook on the side of the car. Um, that is like basis and true. All these like horrible ur- urban legends have some basis of truth to them, and the actual truth. And and the thing is, is that um. Um joshua zeman goes and he like does all this like research and it's like he shows um newspaper clippings and police reports um, um police photographs uh, uh tv spots news spots and it was just it, it's not the kind of thing you want to watch when you're home alone on a, on a dark and stormy night especially in autumn and it, it was it was um it's one of those movies, whereas it's uh, it's it's perfect for this time of year. Um, um, so I think that the thing is it in case you guys haven't seen this documentary. Um, I can open it up to documentaries that really scared the crap out of you. Go ahead, Melinda.
1: <laughs> documentaries. Um, you know, I'm really bad with remembering titles. Uh, I'd have to almost take a moment and look it up. there was there was a documentary about uh some some teenagers that had been accused of these satanic child slayings uh, at a trailer park and they hadn't it, it turns out they had not actually committed them um but the, the kid actually went to jail the, the parents sort of had this witch hunt mentality and uh, it was filmed over the course of their, their trial and everything, and, and parents talking about, oh, these these kids need to be murdered and put to death for killing this little kid in the trailer park, but um, you're sitting there watching it I'm, it.
3: I'm sorry, is it called West Memphis 3?
1: Uh, no. Uh, the, the, the main guy was named Damien, which is funny. <laughs> Anyway, I, I think that he ends up getting released the, in real life. That the, the teenager ended up getting released from jail. Uh I don't know if that it was because of the documentary, but uh and anyway, I'll look it up in a second and tell you the name of it. But um but yeah, I actually keep meaning to watch Cropsy. Uh so it's good to hear that it's it's quite good. It it looks great, um from having seen it. I love documentary films, so um if if uh if Doug, if you want to go, uh, I can uh, come back and tell you the name of the documentary I was just talking about.
3: I might have found it. Paradise Lost.
1: Yes, thank you. Paradise, Paradise Lost. Lost:
3: The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills.
1: Exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's it's another child murder situation, um, but it's it's very compelling. It's I think for me it was pretty horrific because I don't know about you guys, but as a teenager I was sort of the The black sheep of all the kids i was kind of the outcast so i was like yeah i can totally see how a kid who dresses in all black and listens to heavy metal is going to be the one that they just go that's the one that did it you know that's the kid that did all these horrible things even though he's totally innocent
0: no i think i think that that's the thing because um I, I think that that you just described our entire um, uh, listenership and readership on the Fedora Chronicles*. That 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 basically describes all of us. We are kind of like the <laughs> weird, strange, nerdy, but well-meaning, big-hearted nerds and geeks. And Doug. And Doug, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's
3: a very. It's uh, not counting the documentaries, but it's a it's a popular theme. For horror movies to have something like um you know this and this happened to these children or this happened to these characters when they were young because you know that's that's scary and horrible and you know it's it's effective in terms of a storytelling device so you know it's it's, it's no wonder that it's it's used a lot and when it's used um effectively like in um the, the original Nightmare on Elm Street um, that you were talking about earlier, Melinda, where, you know, they don't, if I remember correctly, they don't directly say that Freddy was a child molester. They yeah, they, say, they,
1: they they skirt that. They yeah, they, they initially they, were going to, but then there were there was some actual stuff that happened around that time, and they, they kind of downplayed that a little bit in the final film.
3: But that's what makes it, I think, more, because you're like, what like there's there's clearly you could tell there's clearly more to the story that we're not getting and, and yeah it's and going, almost
1: there in the subtext mm-hmm. of the film like why yeah. else would a group of parents burn this man to death other than yeah I mean murdering kids yes but but that's the whole the, the sexual thing takes it up a notch you know what oh, I yeah. mean uh-huh. so I don't have kids but I can only imagine that 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 would be a Perfectly reasonable reaction in your mind if that happened.
0: I, I think I think that as soon as you start having kids, Jack Kennedy. Uh, by the way, have you noticed a trend? I'm I'm quoting Jack Kennedy more and more often on the on the podcast. Um, Jack Kennedy said that when you have children, you're giving fate a hostage or two. In my case, and that's the thing is, is like with all of these documentaries, what is the most horrible thing that you could possibly um, imagine happening to your kids? Um, uh, there's a joke there somewhere. Um, I, I think, I think that my most horrible nightmare would be if my kids grew up to be exactly just like me, um, oh, the thought. um uh, but the thing is, is like when you see true story documentaries about horrible things happening to kids, things that actually happened, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty terrifying, um whenever you're dealing with kids because the thing is is like i mean with the exception of puppies and kittens can you think of anything more innocent than a child
2: no
1: well unless it's damien from the omen
0: (laughs) and and you know what um um the omen and damien the omen part two were going to be um uh two of my nominations but uh yeah so um doug uh I, i i guess it's your turn to nominate another scary movie
3: well, I'm I'm not I'm 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 not ready to discuss what I what disturbs me the most. So I the um the next to last one that I'll talk about is uh, John Carpenter's The Thing.
1: Mm, yes. yes. It is
3: um I think again one of those movies like Poltergeist where if it was made today it was an R rated movie. It was back in 1982. I don't think it would be an R rated. It would be It'd be an R-rated movie, but it would be, it's, I don't know, it's just, it'd be a different kind of R. And um, it's its its good. And it's, I mean, everything about, even Wilford Brimley is fantastic in that movie. And the acting is good. The special effects, I think, are um, still very effective. And it's just so disturbing. The dog is inside out, and there's things, tentacles coming out of the guy's head, and the spider thing that when the head separates from the body, and it's just everything about it is just, you know, they're 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 trapped. It's it, it's it's not unlike. Um, I hate to keep not hate, but to keep talking about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's it's effective because. The kids are trapped. They can't really escape. At at some point, they're going to fall asleep, whether they want to or not. Same with this movie. They can't go anywhere. They are trapped. They can't leave. They can't call for help. Even if they could call for help, then no help's coming. They are trapped. And they have to figure out what is happening, what's causing this event. And uh, it's just so... um, It's probably, for me, one of the most... Even though booga booga movies, that's what I call them, the things that jump out at you. Um, booga booga movies don't usually scare me because, like I said before, they have a certain pattern to them. And you you can kind of read what's going to happen. This one doesn't do that. It's like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a booga booga movie, but I'm not going to follow any of the same rules. And it's just horrifying and scary and disturbing and probably where I first learned to like
0: Kurt Russ as an actor. Uh, Mullen, did you want to go first? Talk about The Thing?
1: Uh, you know, The Thing is one of those movies that uh, I need to rewatch as an adult because when I watched it, I was, gosh, I don't know. It was in the 80s. I don't really know how old I was. And I was not interested in it, I found it to be really boring which I know I wouldn't feel that way now. I know enough about the film. Uh, even Michael likes it and he doesn't really like horror movies. Um, so I know I would really love it. Uh, it's just, I think that I watched it at an age where, you know, I I was much more, I guess, interested in the, as you were calling them, booga booga type of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I watched every slasher movie that came out in the eighties and I watched I went through the, the video rental store in, in that tiny town and actually literally watched on purpose every single horror movie in the horror movie section. Uh, so I've seen a lot, a lot of horror movies. Um, and, and for some reason, I guess it, it just didn't resonate with me. However, I, I will say that, uh, especially when the new remake came out, which I did not see because I'm not a fan of remakes, it sort of sparked a conversation here in our household about it and, and wanting to see it. It's just been one of those on the list to watch that we haven't gotten around to watching. So I look forward to seeing it as an adult.
3: I, I do want to see the remake. Well, it's not, from what I understand, it's not a remake, it's a prequel. Ah. And it, it it ends, from what I understand, I mean, I, if you've seen the original, this isn't. It, it, it ends exactly where the first movie picks up. Like. Right. So it's like I I want to see, you know. I think it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, you know. It's 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 better to see the one that that chronologically comes second, and then see the prequel as opposed to watching it in chronological order. Um, right. So it's I mean, I watched the thing. I don't. know, what Was it a month ago? I was with my oldest, and I was flipping through, and I think it was on it wasn't on a movie channel so it, like a lot of the really hard stuff was taken out you know or or diminished so but it was still very effective and he was like i want to watch this movie and i'm like i know it's great and it's 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 scary but it's kind of like uh, you know it's a it's almost a who done it like you don't know you know, anybody can be, because the, the 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 creature can assume any form essentially, and you know, given enough time, so it's like you don't know who really is, or what really is the creature, and it takes. Um, if I remember correctly, it it doesn't take one form, so that's why it's 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 not like this is the 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 scary thing because the scary thing looks like many different things throughout the movie so it's uh boy i like it yeah yeah it, it's i think you should rewatch it i you know i mean i, I definitely don't know will yeah But it's uh it, it it is a very um effective movie that that still holds up and that's i think for for me a lot of um horror movies whether they're the slasher genre or psychological or whatever it is, they don't really hold up because of, um, the, the, the storytelling, the, the way that they tell the story, but also if the movie has effects, you know, cause most of the time, not, not all the time, but most of the time, horror movies have, a, have, have an element of, of, uh, gore and violence. And, uh, um, Yeah,
1: see, I, I feel like the, the effects, uh, I used to want to go into doing horror movie effects. So I feel like horror movie effects pre 1990 or so tend to hold up fairly well. It's my opinion. Uh, mm. and, and the reason why is because they're usually practical effects. They're not CGI, you know, fake blood splatters, which look just horrible. <laughs> uh, and they don't, hate as, uh, yeah. as with most things, in my opinion, CGI, just becomes a shortcut a lazy shortcut that people take rather than trying to find other ways to tell the story and so like if you go back to uh george romero using actual animal intestines in some of his zombie movies it it looks real because it is real you know it is real yeah (laughs) so i i think a lot of time i mean yeah obviously the this serialization of a lot of horror slasher f- flicks like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and you know, particularly those two uh, they get really cheesy on purpose I think that they, the filmmakers say it was intentional for them to be kind of corny um, but I mean I think the special effects a lot of times are still pretty oh my gosh like if you watch even like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4 it's like the the, the horror scenes are pretty horrific. Whether you see them coming or not, you're like, wow, I didn't expect her to turn into a giant roach.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that know? one. Which, yeah. It, 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 is that the same movie where Freddy has the um, the the syringes on his fingers and he sticks them in her arm? Uh, the,
1: the syringes are in three and the roach is in four.
3: That one with the syringes and and, 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 and the, the roach. The dream
1: warriors, rap. yeah. Dude,
3: holy, those, those two scenes, when you said that, that those are the ones that kind of stick out for me, that they are... It, it works because they didn't have CG. It had to work.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. So uh, there's it, a
3: great- it had to be effective. And it, it, yeah. it it's just so, uh, you know, it, nobody, I mean, listen, I don't know about everybody, but nobody likes cockroaches and <laughs> very, very few people like needles. And so it's like, those two things are, are so primal. It's like uh,
0: oh god! I'm just, I'm, just, no. I'm just imagining this giant c- cockroach nurse trying to give you your flu shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, the thing is, is, is that you look at um, uh, George Lucas's prequels that relied so heavily on CG, is and it was just like I th- and spent more time thinking about the the effects and less time on the script. It's got to be in the script. Um, the one thing about the thing that. Um, I think that people should remember is that the original thing, the thing, the thing from another world, was uh, that with Vincent Price. No, it's um. It, you know what? It might have been. No, I don't. I don't see. I don't see Vincent Price on the, uh, uh, on the IMDb page. But it says like um, it it was, like all good science fiction from the sixties. It was an allegory for something else, um, whether or not it was a fear of communism, because the thing is is that the alien. Um, masquerading as other people was supposed to be an allegory for who knows which of your friends is a communist. (laughs) And and a lot of the other movies like um, Them or Godzilla or whatever, it was like the, the dangers of... Uh, science and going too far too fast and it was just like what is all this radioactivity going to do to the ants in the desert You know that mutate that and it was just like a, the greatest science fiction of all time is ones yes. that make you stop and think about where we're going like Gattaca, perfect example what are we doing, where are we going do we really need all this information do we need all this hardware, do we really need to discriminate people because of their genetics and the whole thing, and, it's, and, and so many of those questions are, are coming up right now. But what I'd like to do is, is sometime in the very near future, have everybody over at the Maya House and do a Thing Marathon. Start with The Thing from Another World from 1951 to the 1980s version of John Carpenter's, and then we'll round it off with, with the prequel remake. Um, so whose turn is it to nominate another film? But I I want to just
3: touch on something real quick that Melinda mentioned earlier about um, the use of CG. I think horror movies I think are um, most effective when it's practical effect. I'm not saying it can't be done with CG, but for me, maybe growing up in the '70s and '80s, particularly, you know, you get used to seeing a practical effect because that's all they had. So I think it's to me it's just more effective because I it, completely agree. It it when not not to be too detailed but when you're stabbing something you know and it's a and it's a green screen i mean it might look good but it's different than when you can like see the actor like struggle to stick a knife or something in a prosthetic or a dummy and you know to make it look real but um there's you were talking about cg blood splatter uh not a horror movie but there was um Oh the last Rambo movie. I think it was just called Rambo or John Rambo or something like yeah.
0: that. And It's just um, called Rambo.
3: Plain old right. Rambo. I liked it. I thought it was it was I loved it. It was fun, but the 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 end sequence when he become, you know, when he's got the headband on and stuff and he's and he's mowing down uh the bad guys with a 50 caliber machine gun mounted on the back of that Jeep. It's all at least most of what I saw it was all uh, CG blood splatter and, you know, it was really, it wasn't bad, but it really wasn't that great. And if they had stuck to the original, you know, um, not the original, but if they had stuck to a practical effect, it probably would have been more expensive, but it would have been far more, uh, you know, real and visceral and just more disturbing as disturbing as it already was, it, 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 it could have been so much more effective, I think. M- and, much, um, yeah. Much. So that's just an example, I think, of where CG went a little too far and just didn't really work in terms of, I think, for me.
0: You look at a movie like Kill Bill, which has a lot of blood in it, Kill Bill is all practical effects from what I understand and it is very realistic and the thing is is that Quentin Tarantino and I think somebody who um, made the movie with them, the special effects um, wizard I think they actually had a patent for um, a, and a hydraulic tool that was able to pump out copious amounts of blood like almost instantly on the spot um, but uh, anyway next movie um, who's turn is all right on? well I guess I'll I thought it was Eric's turn. Oh, it It is is my turn. All right, right.
3: go ahead. Good. That'll save me from having a (laughs) mentions thing that I don't want to mention.
0: (laughs) Saving yours for last because I know we've had so many conversations about this (sighs) offline. Um, uh, Forget the original Amityville horror. Forget all of the Amityville horror movies. There is yet another documentary, which I think is really sort of important. For all horror fans, it is um, a documentary called My Animated. Oh, I'm gonna have to cut that out. Um, My Amityville Horror, and it's a it's an actual documentary. And the summary is: for the first time in 35 years, Daniel Lutz recounts his version of the infamous Amityville hauntings that terrified his family in 1975. George and Catherine's Lutz's story went on to inspire. I uh, went on to inspire a best-selling novel in subsequent films that have continued to fascinate audiences today. Take, and, take the notion that the Amityville Horror, the original book, forget the movie, just forget the forget the movie, go with the original book about the Amityville Horror and the, and the house being haunted and inspiring the son of the previous occupants to go on a murder spree and then the real estate agents, they sell the house, they don't bother to tell the family what happened before and all these strange things happening and it became um it, it actually was a new sensation here in the northeast for um for a, a short period of time um uh, because there was um uh there was a news anchor out of new york city who did a lot of stories on the actual house and the actual hauntings and to look at this kid well he's not a kid anymore he's he's about our age and he goes and he tells everybody about like what actually happened and how it affected him and how he had been followed by the legacy of the Amityville Horror. And his sort of like his bitter anger disappointment with the fact that it was just like all the subsequent movies that came after the first one were um, not based in reality. They just basically used the name and they just used the house um, or a house that looked just like it to just capitalize on this and the th- and it, it just is torment on how look the horrible things happen to this kid and things happen whereas it's like they, i mean um with things flying around the room and um, uh, doors and windows slamming and kids fingers and stuff like that and it's like looking out into the window in the middle of the night and see two Two red eyes staring back at you—that's some pretty terrifying stuff. And for that to actually happen to a uh, to a kid,
3: oh, well, um, let's say that it it according to him, it actually happened. Co- yeah, according
0: to him, it's his story.
3: Now, do they? I I I, I remember the original because I just thought James Brolin was uh, really good in it. Um... And Ron Ste- Rod Steiger, and um, oh God,
0: help me, Margot Kidder.
3: Margot Kidder, thank you. Um, I—it's been a long time since I've seen it, but was did this this
0: man? What's his name? Uh, the, the the kid, um, um, Daniel Lutz. Okay, so the Lutz family. Does
3: he think that this original movie was accurate? No. Okay. So he didn't like any of the movies. Period.
0: No, he didn't like any of the movies. Period. Okay. Because the thing is, is now, that what? they they cut out a lot of stuff. Like the thing is, is that one of the things that James Boland's character, Daniel, it's his stepfather, um, actually displayed um, symptoms of being demonically, um, uh, demonically possessed. Um, they, they sort of like glossed over that in the film. There were a lot of horrible things that actually happened that they just did not bother to put in the film. And they basically rewrote the story to, to sort of sensationalize parts that really didn't need to be sensationalized.
3: Um, so this, this documentary, does, it, does he go into detail as to what really happened? Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Are anybody else from the family left, or is he the only one?
0: Uh, there's a, there are a couple members of the family, and, and um, also in this documentary, they also talk to... Um, uh, uh, his grandparents they talked to uh, neighbors who lived next door to Lutz's when it happened and there's nobody in the entire documentary who says no no this, this is BS it never happened but he does sort of address the naysayers and say it doesn't matter if you don't believe me it doesn't matter I know the truth I know what really happened and it's like if if you need to believe that all of this was a lie so you can get sleep at night I, I don't blame you at all. There are times I wish that this was a lie.
3: Now, do they present the documentary? I mean, I should just watch it because it sounds fascinating. But do the makers present the documentary as fact off the bat, like this is true? Or do they present it like um, here is the information we have, make up your own mind?
0: If anything, it's really more of examining Daniel's story. But what did Daniel go through, through the entire... Um, through the entire thing and t- talking about, um, you know, putting an elementary school kid um, through um, lie detector tests and put them under hypnosis. They really tried very hard to try and debunk this as it was happening in 1975. And every attempt to debunk this, um, it failed. And, and it was just like, um, the only thing you could really say about this definitively is that the neighbors and, and the family who lived in the house, um, everybody involved um, adamantly says, this really happened. Um, and I think that it was just like it, it's, I think it's a story that, especially in this time of year, needs to be re-examined. Belinda, do you have thoughts on the Amityville Horror or this documentary?
1: I have not seen the documentary. Uh, the original film is very terrifying. and. The documentary sounds very, very interesting. So, yet another one that I will put on my list to check out. Um, I, I don't know that I have a lot that I could add to what you've already covered, but, but yeah, I, I think it's certainly one of those like we've talked about before with uh, with the haunting. It's a it's a scary haunted type of house situation where there's like it's like is it a ghost or a spirit or a poltergeist or That type of thing uh that's somewhat not defined is what makes it so scary
3: i just pulled up the uh, address it is um 110 ocean avenue uh amityville new york and it's a beautiful house
0: (laughs) it really is
3: (laughs) um do they address anything and they talk to the current residents in the documentary
0: um it's been a while since i've actually seen the documentary um uh, the one thing that remains as far as like um the movie itself is is how grounded it was if anything i think they actually do talk to some of the residents uh some of the people who lived in the house afterwards i think they do but the thing is is like it's every 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 question you ask can basically be summed up by saying you're just gonna have to watch the movie yourself
3: i don't want to watch it because it's gonna scare me i'd rather you just tell me (laughs) So I don't have to watch it. But uh, I, it's like, okay, this just a question. Let's just go the Amityville house. Or let's say there's a house of similar reputation by you. And if if, if you look it up, it is a beautiful house. Right. Um now even then, because I'm looking at an old picture and now it's got a you know, beautiful barn, like line and really pretty. What would, would, would you buy it?
0: Would I buy it?
3: If, 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 if somebody said, you know, here's the deal. It's a deal, it, it's a good deal, it's, uh, you know, far below market value, we just need to get rid of it, and it was in good shape, knowing the history, would, would, would you buy it?
0: Well, let's just sort of, like, back this up a little bit. Um, we, we just met Melinda tonight, and, and I, I don't really know a lot about her, um, her, her background as far as what she believes in the paranormal in um, the unexplained. Uh, I, I, am, I am a true, bona fide um, believer in the paranormal. I don't, I don't, su- um, I'm not easily suckered by any, every scary story, um, but there are a lot of stories that that hold true for me. Um, I believe in hauntings. I believe in, um, I believe a lot in the supernatural. Um, um, and I can talk for, you know, ad nausea about that. Um, I know that you, um, you're more of the realist, um, Doug. It, you're more of somebody who um, I have to see it to believe it. And even after I see it, I still don't believe it.
3: I don't know if that's exactly true. I mean, there are, you know, having seen a lot of the world and traveled to different places and, and done different things, you know, and certainly opened my eyes to many possibilities and I've experienced lots of things where I can't explain it, but just because this is my, uh, on the supernatural, this is my thought that even if I can't explain it, it doesn't mean it's not explainable. Right. And um, I, I do believe there are things beyond our comprehension that, that defy to be, um, that, that defy explanation. Um, that doesn't mean it's supernatural. It doesn't mean that it's not supernatural. It just means that it defies um, explanation, which makes uh, any reasonable person—you have to question whether it's, you know, um, you know, this this could be a legitimate uh, supernatural event. I don't know. All I know is I can't explain it. So, I I, I am a I am a skeptical believer. I, I guess of 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 the two you would be uh, Moulder and I would uh, be Scully.
0: <laughs> how about you? I think you?
1: I would I would be Scully with you. I, I tend to... I think you pretty well described how I am. I know that there are certainly things that are beyond our ability to explain or understand, but that doesn't mean that... Or at least with what we know now, it doesn't mean that it's completely beyond a scientific explanation. It's just we don't really know how to quantify and qualify everything um so i I tend to pretty much agree with with scully in the earlier (laughs) episodes and seasons of the x-files
0: uh so so with that said i I think we're saving doug's scary movie his last best scary movie for last i think melinda i I think it's your turn um to present us with your all-time scariest movie
1: Ah, okay. Uh, my all-time scariest movie, you know. While we've been talking, I I had it picked out, and I was a hundred percent sure before we came, before we started talking, and and now I'm I'm thinking, gosh, you know, do I want to rethink it?
0: You can do uh, both. You can do <laughs> both of them.
1: Well, so my very favorite movie is Nightmare on Elm Street, um, and the reason why is because as a child, and all the way even till recent times, I've always had really really bad nightmares, the kind that wake you up like hitting people you can ask michael about that Um, and so i think that that having freddy krueger who there's a great documentary uh about the nightmare on elm street film series that's uh where they interview wes craven and they talk to all these people who made the films but wes craven himself uh rest in peace uh he really seemed to put a lot of uh thought into the creation of this particular character and the fact that everyone sleeps everyone has nightmares uh everyone has stuff they're trying to work out in their dreams and the thought that something could some entity could know all of your deepest darkest fears and have access to you in this place where you're completely vulnerable no matter how tough you are how strong you are how you know detached you are in life uh you're in this place where you're at complete mercy to this thing um I think that's really, really terrifying, and, and he goes back to this, this primal uh, thing with uh, imagery, with using uh, Freddy Krueger having the, the claws, uh, I think Wes Craven describes going back to caveman times where, like, what's the scariest thing that humanity has ever really, the first thing that humans were ever afraid of is, like, the, the animal in the forest who's trying to kill you and being afraid of that. It's very primal because like the, the claws reaching around the cave wall to get to you, that's why he created that character in that way. And um, so it's sort of the boogeyman and it's sort of this, this childhood fear meets, uh, human primal fear uh, meets this thing that can get to you in your most vulnerable time of your life, which is when you're asleep. Um, but what I love about it is that Nancy, at the end of the film, uh, especially with the original script, she she defeats him with her power to just say you don't have power over me, and I'm taking my power back. Um, and that was the original ending of the film. Uh, the little tagged on thing at the end uh, was not originally there, where they all get in the car and it, you know, they're all alive at the end of the film and and all of that. That wasn't originally in the the movie. And so um, that that movie for me. Um, it's why I love Freddy Krueger and, and Nightmare on Elm Street series. But uh, the other film that I think is like just viscerally terrifying and almost hard to watch because it's so so scary uh, is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, the The effects in that film, um, the absolute just the the way it's filmed, the way it's edited the way that there is like no music, uh, especially during that end sequence where the main character is running and just, it's like screaming for 30 minutes straight. It's just this girl screaming as Leatherface is, is chasing her. And, you know, it, it sort of goes back to more modern horror films. I think it inspired that because you've got the serial killer motif, uh, you've got the bad guy is not a monster. He's not supernatural or a ghost or anything like that. He's just a crazy human, um, which can certainly be terrifying. Uh, Lord knows we've got lots of those in the world in real life, so um, it's a valid fear. And um, it's it's even though she, spoiler alert, uh, she escapes at the end of the film, on the truck you can see on her face that she's absolutely... Destroyed mentally by what she just went through, like she's crazy from having survived it. Um, so there's like there's no solace, there's no no um, escape from any of it at, at the end of the day because like just being in the situation, you're never gonna come back out of that in a normal way. So I don't know. I, I think that that movie is really really hard to watch because it's so scary.
3: Isn't it based on a true story, or is there's 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 some level of of no. reality to it?
1: that was what they said at the time. It was a marketing campaign. Uh, The reality is that the only thing it was based on, um, Leatherface was based on, I believe, Ed Gein, Mm. uh, the serial killer who, a lot of other things, Silence of the Lambs and a number of other things were based on him uh, because he did dig up dead bodies and and keep trophies of of people. And So um, I think he actually also wore... uh, Masks of his, of the, the, with the dead flesh of his victims. So I think a lot of those kinds of things that are in other films are from that real life uh, villain. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Um, so the thing is, is that does it? Before we um, uh, finish with uh, with Doug's most scariest, I, I think that the I think the question is. Uh, are we more easily terrified when we think or we believe that it is uh, whatever it is that we're talking about is based in reality if there's a basis in reality is it more terrifying for us
3: I think so I mean look at like what we've talked about Uh, M Nightmare on Elm Street um, lots of movies have a theme of Exorcist have uh, uh, some, some kind of um, Child in peril, or the these these the villain of the picture um, is after children. I mean, it's it, it's a fanciful movie, but it's it it hits a chord because it it reaches us in a real way, and and it does have a basis in reality, even though it it's fiction. You know, it could, you know, you remove Freddy Krueger and just put in. You know a wacko it 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 happens unfortunately more often than we'd like to think so it 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 is based in reality in a way psychologically so yeah i think movies that are you know you have something that is i don't know um the thing let's say um not based in reality It, it it's 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 completely um fantasy in terms of the idea of the villain so, not the subtext i mean just if if you look at it at face value uh it's the idea of the villain is you know complete fantasy it's scary it's 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 uh, horrible and very uh, you know effective that way, but you can you know at at the end that you can kind of deal with it when it's something that's based in reality or could be based in reality if a few things changed i mean you go away like um. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You go, you know, come away from it, uh, the, not knowing, kind of, it 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 sticks with you for a while, and there is no, like Melinda said, there is no solace, there is no closure, there's no ending, because it's, uh, it could be real, and it, those are the kinds of movies that stick with you, and those I think are the most,
0: at least for me, the most scary. Well, with that said. if you guys heard that or not. Yes, we heard it. Doug, do you know what this means? I do know
3: what it means. I I, I will say that uh, I don't know if this is way too much build up because a lot of people may have seen this and uh, think I'm way, uh, way off base, but back in 1979 there was a uh, I was all of I would say um, almost seven years old. And there was a TV movie
0: based on a work from uh, by Stephen King called Salem's Lot. Another Salem's Lot. Another, I'm sorry, another Stephen King.
3: Yes. And um, I think Salem's Lot is the reason why I've only read one Stephen King book in my life, and I probably won't ever read another Stephen King book. Um, I'll talk about the book real quick, because it gives me more time to not talk about Salem's Lot. Um, it I, I was in the Navy, and I went down to the ship's library, and I, I picked out a book, and it was uh, Bag of Bones by Stephen King. And uh, I won't go into the details. All else, I, I couldn't stop reading it. It was... Just so gripping and engaging, but you know, I'm a, uh, I guess you could call it a, a grown-ass man at the time. You know, doing very manly things and and you know, uh, you know, pretty brave. I, I, I would say I was so scared reading this book. I, I would I would read it at night when I you know had a you know a few moments before I fell asleep um, after my you know day's work. In my rack, just laying there, and I'd read this book, and it was just, it, it, it scared me. <laughs> and I'll never read another Stephen King book again because it,
0: it, it was so effective. One is enough. Well, um, then, well, then, I, this. So, ra- it, this raises the question, Doug, mm-hmm. if the Amityville Horror house was up for sale, knowing mm-hmm. everything that you know now. Mm-hmm would you move into the Amityville Horror House for free? Free and clear? Nope, No property taxes either. If you read Salem's Lot in the house in that basement
3: I would way- absolutely move into the Amityville Horror House. Um, I don't know if my wife or my kids would but <laughs> I would but I would not move into a house that looked like Um, any of the structures from Salem's Lot house business or otherwise Um, this this uh, TV movie with um, David Soul Soul. Soul, who played Hutch on Starsky and Hutch uh, the blonde one was I don't know what it was we were living if I'm not mistaken we were living in Alabama at the time and I for some reason begged and pleaded with my dad to watch this. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Maybe I saw the vampires and I didn't, I don't remember the commercial. I don't remember why. All I remember is I want to see this movie. You know, I'm a big boy and I want to see this movie. And he's like, no way. And I'm like, please. And so he, I I don't call it, uh, you know, good parenting because you know he taught me a lesson or bad parenting because he let me do it but either way i watched it and i don't remember watching if i watched the whole thing or if i just watched enough and i am 42 years old and when this movie comes on halloween i will be (laughs) brave and i'm gonna all right you know this is the year i'm gonna watch it and i'll watch like i don't know Maybe ten minutes, depending on where in the movie it is, and you know, there are some pretty benign parts, and then you have other parts like with the. Um, have you seen Melinda?
1: Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
3: You have the, the the part with the little boy floating outside the window. Yep. Or you have um, David Soul, and I forget who he's with, and they're in the hospital room, and then the the lady uh, vampire comes off the the girl. And he fashions a cross out of uh, tongue depressors, and and <laughs> sticks it on her head, and it like burns this like pretty convincing uh, cross shape into her face, and it's just you know that's that's okay. I mean, I I could I could manage through that. And then you have uh, oh god, what's his name? Uh, I'm gonna look it up now, so I can get the the actor's name. Um, uh, Jeffrey Lewis, I think he just recently passed away if I'm not mistaken but um, he becomes a vampire and there's a part where his eyes are sort of like um, silvery and like he's just like uh, sort of kind of moving his his, his head to stationary but he's kind of moving his shoulders back and forth and just um, uh, unpleasant to say the least <laughs> and then the 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 I could probably make it through if it wasn't for uh, Mr. Barlow, who that's the name of the vampire, and um, I'm trying to find the actor's name who played Barlow. Um, Eric, maybe you can look it up for me while I'm talking. Yeah, and ahead. so I've seen his face as an actor, and he's a it was a gaunt man had a kind of a lot of pockmark not particularly scary looking um as as a man and um but
1: rucker howard in
3: the makeup you know no not rucker that that was the remake that
1: was the 2004
3: yeah yes with Rob um, Lowe. <laughs> right i have not seen that one um and i probably won't just because you know i have standards now and i just <laughs> won't see it but you know it's in the makeup, he might
1: cure you of being scared of the movie, though.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I, I'll, I'll stay sick. And so the, the actor in the makeup when he puts it on. This is me talking as forty-two-year-old Doug. I understand. I can. I've seen the picture of him side by side with him normal and then in the makeup, and you can clearly see who that is. Like sometimes you can. There's so much makeup you you can't tell. But the guy had such a. Um, wonderful face for this that you can see all of most of his features through the makeup, but it's like a the you, whenever you see the vampire he's like a bluish gray, and he's got those vampire contacts in and he's, his, his his fangs aren't like teeth with one on each side, they got like, like these kind of yellowy gnarly kind of spiky fangs like sort of right in the front and, and uh it's just
0: it's, it's it's like a modern take on Neferontu.
3: yes exactly and uh, uh and it's and that's exactly what it is but something about that it, the makeup isn't particularly good in terms of like you know if it was a, a more natural color to his face, I think it would be far more scary, but it's like blue and gray and really um almost like theatrical makeup where you you see a a a, a theater actor on stage and it looks good. You get up close and it's like very heavy lines and very uh, heavy shadowing and thick makeup because it has to be able to be seen from all the way in the back of the theater. It's it's, it's kind of like that. It's it's almost overdone, but holy it's the eyes. It's the eyes. It's the uh, eyes. Well, it's, it's the, the eyes those, and the teeth. It's those. I. It's 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 hard for me to express this without using expletives, uh, but it's those teeth, and yeah, the eyes, and. I could get through the movie when they show the vampire. I, you know, it's okay, and you see them. You see him, several times in the movie, the very end, when David Soul. And kid, um, uh, I forget his name, uh, are are in the house, and they and they go in the basement, and they're being followed by uh, some of the other vampires with uh, Jeffrey Lewis, one of them, and like I said, you can kind of see his eyes, kind of sort of um, silvery, kind of reflecting in the light, and they lock the door behind them, and they open the coffin, and it's just them two and uh, Mr. Barlow. He's in, in in the coffin, and he's you know his arms are crossed, and he looks like a vampire in, in in a coffin, and you can see his face. It's not that bad, and his eyes are closed, and they they stake him, and his eyes open, and they sort of like flash to his face, and just that his mouth opens a little bit, and his eyes open, and I I in in uh, doing the research for this, I was looking at some pictures. And you can't dive in Salem's lot and then hit images and not see his face. And even doing it, it's like, I have a hard time looking at still pictures just because it's, it's just, it's so, I'm looking at it now and it's, I, I, I can only look at it for so long. It's something about it that it's just, uh Clearly it affected six-year-old Doug or seven-year- old Doug, but I don't know if I'd be afraid of it now. It's just uh, one of those things it's almost unexplainable uh, as as good as I am at sometimes with uh, explaining myself, this I can't. And I just know that it's scary and it's horrible, and I can't ever because my kids know about this. And it's like they go, let's let's watch it, and I'm like, no way, no way am I gonna watch this movie, and no way am I gonna let you watch it because it's affected me for this long. I'm not gonna subject you to this. Do you, so,
0: do you want to know how you get Doug's dad to smile? When you're out at a restaurant, and Doug gets up from the table and says, "Hey, I'll be back in a minute," and he he hits the uh, hits the bed uh, the bathroom, and uh, you ask uh, you ask da- uh, Doug's dad, "Hey." Tell us all about Salem's Lot, <laughs> and he just has this big, huge grin, and he just shook his head. He's not not gonna say anything.
3: <laughs> yeah, that, I think it's, that that actually happened with my dad. Yeah,
1: I think it's uh really interesting that that all of our topics so far have been related to Toby Hooper and and uh, including poltergeist. Uh, He's he's really got a really great way, especially in this, these three: Poltergeist, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Salem's Lot. Oh, I
3: didn't uh, realize that. Yeah, you know what? I'm sorry, I didn't. Yeah, make that connection.
1: Yeah, uh, he's him. just these are like his uh, <laughs> these are like his best works, and it's it's interesting that they all came up in the in the mix.
3: He's a horrible human being, and <laughs> <sense> I'm right now.
1: <laughs> I I wouldn't I doubt can- it.
3: I tolerate, you know, maybe I could watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't think I'd like it in, in terms of, I think I would enjoy the movie, but I think it would scare me. But um, I like the idea of horror movies more than I like horror movies. When I was a kid, I too wanted to be a special effects artist. And I had a... Uh, extreme passion and a subscription to Fangoria magazine uh-huh. <laughs> and just everything about it was wonderful they the the articles the, the pictures um, yep. because it, it exposed me to those kinds of movies that I was never going to get to see because of you know for whatever reason it like exposed me to more than I could do on my own and you know I really wanted to do special effects not just horror but just special effects in general uh, makeup particularly. Well, I, so yeah, go ahead. Know, yeah, I'm okay. sorry. So, it, you know, I, I I I am fascinated by the idea of it. But, you know, in in talking about this, I'm I, I think I'm realizing it now that the reason why I don't particularly I, I like some I I'd like to watch a horror movie maybe from time to time, but uh, safe horror movies. Uh, you know, things that might be a little creepy, but you know, like, uh, like signs, like I was saying before. Creepy, kind of a horror movie, not really, but just more, um, thriller. Uh, but real horror movies, I, I avoid because I think, well, not I, think, I know it's because of Salem's Lot. And I just don't like, um, it, it ruined me. And I don't like that, uh, that, that uh, that, that sensation because it 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 reminds me you know some people i i I get a thrill certain things give you a thrill you know like the adrenaline rush from being scared is what attracts a lot of people to horror movies and like i think it's because of this movie that even like we went to some uh um some dopey uh it was like a haunted house but it's car that you sit in and it takes you kind of through this track and it's really cheesy um little animatronics you know it's not that and i'm not gonna lie i i looked but i i, I you know put put my eyes down but i was looking out of my periphery so that i could see it but i really wasn't looking at what it was and it's because of when at the end of this movie when he wakes up and it's like kind of like a he doesn't jump up but it's like gold and it's just like that ruined horror stuff for me now the rest of my life and i'm okay with not ever watching this movie or experiencing any of that ever again
0: i think that this is the perfect perfect time to wrap it up because doug has just talked too much about salem's lot (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so (laughs) so melinda um what do you think is the takeaway from all this
1: Uh, well, coming back around to sort of where we started, I I really think that what, uh, what Doug just said, uh, really plays back into, it's when you see these things, it's, it's sort of, you know, if you see something when you're a child and it just scares, uh, the ever loving crap out of you, (laughs) you're, uh, it's that sort of thing is always going to, um, have this elevated sense of fear and dread in you so if it's if the first scary scary thing you ever see that for you is scary is like a vampire movie then maybe vampires are always scary or if it's salem's lot in particular maybe that particular movie or horror movies in general are just not your thing um i i i really think that it um all these things are rooted in ever everyone has fear and everyone you know, your fears change as you get older, what you're afraid of. When you're a kid, it's the boogeyman or it's clowns or it's, you know, your toys or whatever. Uh, and then when you're an adult, it's, oh my God, something could happen to my kids. Um, or, you know, possibly something could happen to me. But it's usually more about that, you know, the, the stuff we talked about earlier with, with being afraid for your children and stuff like that. So that's why all of these films sort of give you a socially acceptable outlet uh, and a way to have that catharsis without actually having to go through it uh, yourself so that you can kind of work through some of this stuff and these fears um, in a theater where on some level, you know that you're safe um, and and sort of get your head around it. Um, So I think that, you know, in addition to the jump scare type of mentality, which is not my personal favorite, Part of horror movies. I think there's a deeper level of um, these things resonate with us because we all have fears. We've always had fear. And it gives us an opportunity to sort of work it out in some way, you know, that, that we can all sort of look at on the screen and go, oh, okay, that's what it is. It, it's not as, maybe not even quite as scary when it's outside your head and you see that other people are feeling that way too. And then you can kind of go home and feel a sense of closure. Um, that's those are my two cents.
0: Jeez, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm gonna have to cut that out. <laughs> well, what I, I think that the final takeaway, um, uh, and I think that Jason would definitely back me up if if he was still with us, is that you can tell so much about a person by um, uh, what terrifies them. What what are the scariest movies you've ever seen and when you ask somebody that question when they give you the answer um, it, it's amazing to, to, to hear the varying answers and it was you find out so much about people and and what scares them oh you know so much about their personality by what scares them um, you can tell a lot by you know um, what terrifies Doug um, and you can tell a lot about Melinda by what terrifies melinda and and uh, and obviously, I think that you know looking into um, my Netflix queue and seeing the kind of terrifying movies that I like to watch is like a window into the darker part of my soul and it was um, I, I think this has been a really educational experience for all of us so um, so. This is where I'm going to just preview for um, next week. Next week's podcast um, is going to be part two of our Halloween special, and um, we are going to um, we're going to d- d- divulge deeper into um, my territory. Um, we are going to be examining um, uh, sounds and audio files, real life sounds and audio files, um, terrifying sound audio files. And sort of like um, sort of analyze them all together. And Melinda, um, I hope that you and Mike can come back for that next week.
1: All right, just send us the information.
0: I certainly will. And Doug, I promise you, I will not talk about Kurt Barlow ever, ever again until next Halloween.
3: Yes. Well, like I say, it's uh, I I put on a brave face every year, and I'll, I'll watch about ten minutes. But it's just eh, I just don't have any desire to watch
0: that movie <laughs> okay. hey well anyway thank you so much for being um, just so honest and true about what really terrifies you on the on the big screen and the little screen yeah that's so, it yeah so Melinda thank you so much for for joining us you have been an absolute um, uh, pleasure to have
1: oh thank you for having me and
0: and we hope that you, um, both you and um, Mike will become um, um, regular reoccurring guests sure thanks all right guys thank you so much and this is where i'm gonna let you go because i have to put the kids to bed so (laughs) all right talk to you later guys thanks
1: thanks see ya
0: Once again, I would like to thank Fedora Chronicles regulars Jason Cousineau and Doug Palumbo with a very special thanks to Belinda Mock of Retro Blasting for talking to us well into the night about the scariest movies that they have ever seen. In this episode of the Fedora Chronicles radio show, we featured music from the movies The Exorcist, Poltergeist, Children of the Corn, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the theme song from American Werewolf in London, The documentary, *Crosby*, the theme from the original Amityville Horror, and credits from the documentary, My Amityville Horror, John Carpenter's The Thing, Bram Stoker's Dracula, In the Hall of the Mountain King by Edvard Grieg, and various other scary sounds found from around the internet. Once again, please check out our Zazzle page, zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles do your shopping via the Amazon link on the top of all of our pages as a way of supporting us, or send us your donations via PayPal along with your comments, suggestions, or copy that you'd like for us to read as your commercial. The link of all of these can be found on our main page. A final special thanks to all of you, our listeners. Thank you for downloading our podcast and subscribing via iTunes. As always, this is Eric Render Fisk signing off. Keep your chin up and your fedora on.